Hello, vinyl lovers. I'm Antonio Staropoli. And I'm Chris Myers. And you're listening to Taste of Vinyl. Let's get emo, motherfuckers. Jesus. Pull out your razors, guys. All right. I think I'm going to cut you, Chris. Welcome. Welcome, listeners. We have an awesome episode for you today. Our guest is a man of many talents in the realm of art. He's an author, a comedian, a singer, writer, producer, and all-around lover of movies, music, and the arts. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Mike Henneberger. How you doing, Mike? Hey, guys. Welcome, doing dude. great. Glad we are doing this. We, we got to it. We made it happen. We did it. We made it happen. We did it. Only took six months. <laughs> <laughs> no man we're, we're stoked to have you on um, it definitely did take six months though because i spent just like everything in my life i set these like goals and i have i just like a couple days ago made this little journal like this little book right here this is my forever to-do list Ooh. that i put aside so i don't have 50 <laughs> things on my to-do list yeah, and yeah. i only put 15 things on my to-do list and then if i ever cross all those out i get to go to my forever to-do list and pick off the stuff that i have to do forever and on that is a list of podcasts i want to reach out to and you guys have been on that list forever so no oh wow definitely in cool. my head it's been six months that's amazing cool, man. thanks so much yeah. yeah no really thank you uh so since we've been on your list for that long i'm sure that you've heard the show Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the, <laughs> the first question that we like to ask is analog or digital? Yeah. And I've, you know, heard the different answers and I'm going to go with analog mm-hmm. for the same reason, I'll, you know, I've heard some other people go with it because it's actually like an experience, you sure. know, and it's like you, you get invested in it. You got to get up and flip the record. You're, you're going to listen to five songs probably straight through. Mm-hmm. But also recently, and like you guys emailed me and asked me about, you know, if I collect vinyl and stuff, and and I said I would save the details for the the show. And I recently had uh, a daughter. My wife and I have a a three-month-old daughter. Congratulations. Congratulations, dude. Um, Thank you. And for those who've read my book, I talk a lot in there, or I mention how like, I grew up with a dad who played records all the time. Like I would wake up in the morning and he would be playing records. Yeah. Right. He had a, he had a huge record collection, always had like the best stereo equipment, the like newest stereo equipment. And I, I'm a hundred percent sure, even though he never talked about music, never talked about his love for music, just seeing him take care of his records and play records the way that he did. I'm sure that's where I got my love for music. You know, as soon as I found, like I had a record collection already, but when I found out I was having my own kid, I started buying records like all the time. Like I've (laughs) I've probably bought a hundred records in the last year since I knew my baby was coming. Oh, that's so cool. Um, Because it was stuff that like I want to pass along to her and I'm sure I can do that with Spotify, but I want her to like have the experience I had of like seeing her dad put on a record and like sit through that record because he loves that music so much. So yeah, right, right now. And it's clicked with me more that I'm uh, more on the analog side right now. That's a great explanation. I love that dude. I love that. You know, you look, you're looking at it in terms of how you're going to pass along your passion for music to your child. That's 
kind of the only reason I want to have kids, to be honest with you. It, it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, I just want like, I want to make like a little like mini version of me, you know, that I can just be like, dude, you got to listen to this, man. Or like actually be like, hey, like, let me show you how to play this instrument. Not that I really yeah. know how to play, but you know. No, I know. I'm the same way. That's a, that's also the reason I like got a guitar again. Yes, but, uh, nice, dude. Because I've, um, I, I mentioned right away in the book that like I'm not a musician, right, right. Because um, I, I played in bands and I've I've played guitar for 20 years, but I've never really learned how to play guitar. <laughs> I just like know how to look up songs and play those songs while staring at a computer. Um, but I would love to pass that along to her. And, and, and just like yesterday, I was like, what if my daughter's the next Taylor Swift? Yeah. Oh, shit. We're going to be <laughs> rich. Know. Yeah. Seriously. So, that's I mean, that's really that. cool. So, and there's also the whole girl dad thing of like, like I want to introduce her to like female artists so she can see like how cool a lot of them are. But I also don't want to like limit her to be like, here's female artists. Here's what you can do as a female. Right. Um, right. But I love Taylor Swift. She's so, so great. Like because of her coming along, my daughter, I have more Taylor Swift records now than any <laughs> other artist. It's that's ridiculous. really cool. It's like on vinyl. But uh, before she was born, we were my wife and I were watching an MXPX live stream, and she started kicking, and you could see like her kicking, and so Whoa, that was like her like first rhythm. concert. Yeah, that's and so cool. Si- since she's been born, I've rocked her to sleep to mxpx teenage politics rancid my on vinyl rancid outcome the wolves nice um she loves you know mayday parade i put that on vinyl she loves churches on spotify but that's because that's the emergency like when she's crying i put churches on uh-huh. and she just chills out Ooh, like love churches yeah that's so great man i and i was gonna ask because you know your your book and we're going to be talking a bit about your book, um, which is titled Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in New York City. And, you know, it, it's a long one. It yeah. is. It's it awful. is. But I like it because it kind of Great has the, like the typical emo title. That's just. Yes. Yeah. People have pointed that sentence. out. And I just have to pretend I meant to do that because <laughs> really Really, I just researched self self publishing and learned to put a subtitle on your book that's filled with SEO terms. Oh, sure, sure. And, and so that's what I did because if you looked up the Renaissance, you're gonna find a thousand books about something that's not the Renaissance. What my book's about the right, actual correct. Renaissance. I threw right. emo like the sh- in there, through New York City, and through falling in love. Yeah. Right, that's like, fantastic. Yeah, the Renaissance, all classical. Yeah, well, that, that, that's brilliant. But you know, it sounds like your story has ended kind of on a positive note here. You're married, you have a, a kid now, like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Especially because, you know, again, like going through your audiobook, it just seemed like, you know, you had this hopeless romantic thing going and it's, it's very exciting to hear where you're at now. Yeah. The book gets dark and the only reason it's out is because I was able to get past all of that. You know, it's, it's, I have major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder. And this book is about a period of my life where those things were at their worst. Yeah. And part of it is because for those who've read the book or will read the book is because I did not try to 
get better in healthy ways. I was drinking a ton. I was abusing drugs. Um, I was abusing pills. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was looking for, I just felt like what was going to fix all that was like somebody else loving me or, sure. you know, me achieving something. And it didn't come around until like I actually like started seeing a therapist and saw a doctor who actually knows what fixes these things or not fixes these things, but what helps you get through these things. Absolutely. And so, yeah, the only reason this book is out is because I started seeing a therapist, started, got on the right medication you know, started taking my mental health seriously and got healthier and felt more comfortable putting it out because so it's, it's about a period, this period of my life, the first couple of years that I lived in New York from 2011 to 2014. Mm-hmm. And at that period of my life, I was dealing with these crazy thoughts in my head and I didn't want anybody to know about them. And for a couple of years after that, I was still dealing with them and I didn't want anyone, I didn't want to go to work and have people know that like, Oh, Mike's head's fucked up. Right. This is what this guy's thinking. Right, right. So I never put it out, you know? So it took me getting healthier and feeling more comfortable and not ashamed of that to put it out into the world. So hopefully people who are dealing with that stuff will see that they're not alone in it, you know? And there's, you know, a chance of getting out of it if you just try to do it the right way. So yeah, I'm much better now. And that's not to say that I don't still occasionally break down and cry or not want to get out of bed that right. happens sometimes, but so rarely. Yeah. Um, and it's only because I'm doing the work, you know, it has nothing to do with my wife or my kid or, I mean, plenty of people get worse with that stuff, sure. you know, right. sure. it has everything to do with putting in the, putting in the work that it takes. That's to, terrific, to man. There. I'm, I'm really, I'm so happy to hear that because you know, when I was listening to the to the audiobook, it really I was like, I am concerned for <laughs> yeah. Mike. Yes, yeah. yes. It was no, really I, I was, was rough. Like, man, and and like listen, man, like you're not alone. Obviously, there's tons no. of people that, that go through depression and go through anxiety. I myself, I have those issues. I've never really talked about that on the show, but I definitely can relate. I related to a lot yeah. of the stuff. I didn't you know, I didn't medicate maybe nearly as much or I, I don't I don't actually drink. And it's also it's part of like my anxiety is because I, I don't drink because of my anxiety. It makes it worse, which is yeah. fucked up. But, you know, hearing you go through that, man, it really it was just like I was able to relate. And I was also able to kind of like even like remove myself from it and, and think like, I hope he gets help. I hope I hope he's OK now. Uh, clearly, he seems like he's OK right, now. Right. <laughs> but um, it, it was really, you can tell it was really raw and you just kind of were bearing it all. And uh, it yeah, makes no. sense that you had to wait to to release it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's definitely been brought up before. Like people have been concerned about reading it, but I never really thought about it of like just regular readers who like might read it and then like Google my name and like, I'm pretty open about my life on Instagram now. Uh-huh. And they're just like, what the fuck? Like, how is that guy, this guy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so like, because it, that is a tricky part about the book. Like I don't want to spoil the ending or anything, but you know, it, it doesn't end with me who I, as who I am now. Right. right. And so a couple people, you know, my wife included pointed out that like, you know, normally these books have the silver lining of like who you become. 
And to me, it's just, it, it's just like that didn't happen for years after where this sure. movie ends. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so I don't want to give anybody the like false hope of, oh, then everything's better because it doesn't happen that <laughs> right, way. Right, right. And like, I don't want anybody to feel like a failure because they don't automatically feel better. You oh, know? that's like, a great point. Sometimes it takes years. Yeah. And like, don't give up because sometimes you do wake up and continue your life and you just have to deal with the shit for yep. another couple of years. But the only way things can get better is if you're alive to keep going, you know? And Absolutely. So that's kind of why, that's why I've, I love talking about it and kind of getting out there and, you know, sharing it with people. And I mean, I even tell people, it's like, if you don't have money to buy it, just like hit me up on Instagram or something and <laughs> wow. I'll, I'll give you a free copy of it. That's cool. Uh, because that's the, that's, I mean, I make so little money off this book. I don't care. Uh, it's self-published. Uh, right. And and it's just important to me to get the story out there. And and it's important to me, like, as a music journalist and someone who grew up in this scene of, like, pop punk and emo, to put these bands out there and show what they were, how they were able to save me, you know, and just share their music with, with other people. It's like, sure, everyone's heard of Jimmy Eat World, but... I've been told by readers they discovered Two Door Cinema Club or The Dangerous Summer or Smoking Popes. You know, yes, like, right. correct. I like I'm I'm excited about that, and that's why I got into music journalism in the first place. Um, and I just I'm waiting for some like kid to tell me like, hey, I looked up that Lisa Loeb person. I love that. <laughs> like, that's what I'm waiting for. That's awesome. Hopefully it'll happen one day. That's so that's so great. Exposing people to artists, music that they normally wouldn't have discovered on their own. That that's so awesome, man. Yeah. It's it just seems like there's a lot that went into the book. I don't want to say that you you're like altruistic for putting it out there, but at the same time, it seems like maybe you are. Well, I, I appreciate that and I'm very like, I don't know sarcastic and snarky so like i i love to i'd love to like take that and be like yeah no i am altruistic you're right i'm i'm i should I'm be the fucking I'm a man. saint um yeah. no um but no i mean look it's for me i've always i'm 30 i'll be 39 will i be 39 I think I'll be 39. <laughs> like, is there, there's a time where you just stop counting, right? Yeah. Yes. There are yes. days where I, I have that same issue. I'm like, wait, am I, am I 38? So for no, wait, women, yeah. it's 30. For guys, it's 40. It's so, it <laughs> it's gets true. really <laughs> bad, man. I'm like, years old <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no. So like, I'll be 39 this year, I believe. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've worked in music one way or another since I was 17 and booking my band to go on tour. Uh, started playing in bands when I was 14, but I wouldn't consider that working. But all that my life has been about for the last 25 years has been music, man. And yep. and so, like, I want to find ways to make a living around it. And music journalism hasn't really done that for me. Uh, not writing about music, but, like, I've worked as a video producer for, like, Billboard and Rolling Stone and Spin. And so, like, I've gotten some paychecks for it. But this book, you know, I've always wanted to write for TV and I'm trying to adapt this into a TV show. Uh, so, yeah, oh, wow. I mean, it's I mean, in the spirit of transparency, so nobody thinks I'm like trying to bullshit anybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to turn it into a TV show, but it's a story I wanted to tell. Like right. I joined the army when I was 25 and that's when I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder. And it there were several times, just like in the book, like the book says, 
I could have died. Right. Literally could have died from mixing pills and alcohol. And it's amazing that I'm not dead. I don't know how I'm not dead. Mixing cocaine, pills, Xanax, Adderall, Ambien, whiskey. It's insane that I'm not dead. My God. And it's such a huge thing for me to like be there for people who deal with that shit and don't know how to deal with it. Because like when I was in the army, I was 25 and had, you know, a stronger head on my shoulders. But a lot of those kids were 18 straight out of high school, never made a doctor's appointment for themselves, went from being in high school where you're scared of your principal and scared of your teachers and scared of getting suspended straight into the military where you're scared of your drill sergeants and scared of your commanders and scared. Like you're just scared and you don't feel like you feel like you're so weak and you have no control over yourself and nobody gives a shit about you. And so it, that is a big part of it, but it's, I mean, it's also just what I do. I'm a, I'm a writer. I don't know how to do anything else. Um, I'm a writer and like content creator now that that's a term, but, uh, (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, it's it's not driven by altruism. It's driven by this is what I know how to do. And yep. it scares the shit out of me to like think that there are people who are in the position that I was 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, I feel sad about that. I wish I could like help them more clearly in like an easier way, you know, sure. instead of saying, hey, read this book that's going to take it, you but it, a week or something. You know, <laughs> at the same time though, right? Like I think just everybody needs to go through their journeys, you know, like yeah. sometimes, it, you know, just telling someone about, you know, like, hey man, I've been there before. Like, yeah, it, it can make them feel like they're not alone, but it may not make them turn everything around right away. Oh, you know, for you sure. had to, it seems like you had to kind of go through what you went through and then discover yeah. that like, oh, you know what? Like I need to take care of my mental health. I'm going to see a therapist. And now you, like you said, you're working towards that. So everybody's, yeah. everybody's got their process, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that you're totally right about that. Like, I don't think anybody learns from someone else telling them sure. something. It, it's unfortunate, but I knew better, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, there's a point in my book where I talk about how, like, I read, it was when I was in the army, I I came across, like, an Entertainment Weekly that was, like, the year anniversary of Heath Ledger's death. Right, right. And how it was, like, found out that he may have just mixed the wrong medication. Yeah, like, it was an accident. Sure. Like, it was an accident, not a suicide. Right, right. But that's all I was doing, too, at a certain point. I mean, not the book weekend, but like when I was in the army, you know, I was just like taking Ambien to go to sleep because I didn't want to be awake and mixing it with who knows what. Sure. And so like some of that can be accidents, but you're willing to accept the potential consequences. Like, you know what could happen. Of course, of course. You know? and, and you kind of just and don't you're care. you're okay with it <laughs> right. because yeah. of where you're at in your head. Yeah. And right. so what I talked about in, in the book is how it wasn't like, I wasn't like choosing to be suicidal, but I was okay if I didn't die, if I didn't wake up the next day, you know? Yeah, right, right. Um, and I've come to realize now that that's being suicidal. Like that right. is, if you're doing things that could kill you and you're okay with that, then that's being suicidal. Yeah. You don't have to like cut your wrist. Sure, um, right. Sure. And I've, this is something I've just realized now, like I've, I, or at least I've become more comfortable admitting that I was, I mean, in the book, I say I'm not suicidal, but I'm starting to realize, I, I realize now, and I'm, or at least I'm more comfortable admitting it that I was then. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect to like save anybody's life, but I just want them to feel like they weren't alone. And 
you know, I mean, a lot of this music made me feel that way yeah. and that's why it's in the book. And, and so hopefully, you know, people will, I have these bands and they're helping me out to show that, you know, it's like, you're not just reading my book and like seeing because of me, you're not alone. It's because of Bayside, you're not alone. And because of the dangerous summer, you're not alone because of Jimmy Eat world. You're not alone. Like we're all here, you know, like that's what I, I love about it. Yeah, for no, sure. Definitely. It really did add a whole other layer to the book and it helped tell the story. And I agree with you. Um, there's so much music out there that makes you feel like you're not alone. So it's very cool how you married those two worlds, your writing and the music that you love into that book and just made it tell your story. So Thanks, definitely we recommend you can either grab the book and read it or check out the audiobook. Again, it's rock bottom at the Renaissance an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in New York City. Fantastic. Thanks. Absolutely. Let's talk about your career because you've been touching on it. You know, you've done a lot of work for pretty big companies, Vice, Rolling Stone, Billboard. Can you tell us kind of the genesis of your career? Tell us where it all began. Uh, that's it, it all began in 2000. Shit, I, I don't know. I'm bad at math. I admit that in the book too. Um, when I was 14 and I started playing in bands, uh, I started my first, I started my Christian ska band when I was 14. Nice. Okay. Um, and, uh, Are you still, it's funny do you still consider yourself a Christian? I, I do still believe in all that. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, hmm. and, uh, and it's only because of like the experiences I had back then that it's like for me, there's either a God who was looking out for me or I'm the luckiest person in the world <laughs> to have the coincidences that happened to me, you know? Okay. Like fair enough. If, if, if I sat down, I'm not going to w- take the time here, but if I sat down with somebody and told them every single reason, I believe there's a God who was looking out for me through that period of my life. If you just looked at those, if you're an atheist and just looked at those as coincidences, then it's your pleasure to meet me because I'm the luckiest man. Alive. <laughs> like, it makes no sense for some of these things to have happened. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. Sorry. I, uh, I just the, the, so the two, about that. The, 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 the two quick, ex- let me give you two quick examples. Uh, okay. One, our, our 1970s school bus in 2001 or 2002 uh, broke down every three days on our two month tour. No, in 2000 broke down every three days on tour. And one time the carburetor just completely went out and the guy who booked us just knew how to rebuild carburetors. Oh, wow. And while he kept our bus to rebuild our carburetor, this other band that we just randomly met playing a show in Oklahoma and hooked them up with our show in Colorado, we're going to hook us up with the show. So we just rode in their bus to another show and they got us paid, and then we came back and got our bus. And then a couple of weeks later, it broke down many times between them, but a couple of weeks later, our, our bus broke down in Arizona, and we were in a Walmart parking lot, and our trumpet player's dad called the, called the police station to find out like where we could go, who we should, like because it was a small town. Mm-hmm. And the cop who answered just happened to be a youth pastor at a church, booked us at his church while... <laughs> He got our bus fixed <laughs> and paid for it. Oh, wow. And paid us like 500 bucks to play at his church. What? Put us up for like three days, fed us the whole wow. time. 
Um, and then our bus was fixed and we got to go back out on tour. Like it's That's just terrific. stupid little things like that, that just like happen the way they happen that make me think like I'm either the luckiest man alive or uh, there's a God who is looking out for me, you know? And I get it. That's not the case for everybody, but so, yeah, I, I still believe in, in that stuff because of that. I don't go to church. I haven't been to church in forever. Okay. There's a lot of things I hate about, mm. you know, the way a lot of Christians are, but for me, I, I still, I still believe in it. Yeah. Right on. Okay. okay. Cool, man. No Res- cool. respect. I, I feel like I, <laughs> I yes. kind of uh, derailed you from your original thought there. Uh, oh, yeah. So I apologize. So, yeah, I, I started. No, no way. Uh, I started playing in a band. When I was 14 and I grew up in this tiny ass little town in South Texas that I mentioned a lot in the book. Uh, sure. And I was born in San Diego, California. So when I moved to t- South Texas, I was just like, ah, I, I like I've seen this place, but now I'm here. And uh, I just wanted to get out. And this is something else I've realized as an adult. And it's it's probably good. Like, I wanted to be a pro skater, but I sucked at skateboarding. It didn't stop me from trying to think I was going to be a rock star when I couldn't play an instrument. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I just wanted to get out. Like, I, I knew I could get out. I knew I could, like, do something great with my life. And nobody... I just didn't have people in my life that were like, oh yeah, being a lawyer will get you that or being a vice president of marketing will get you that. Like I didn't have that around me. Sure. So I was just like, I got to be in a band or I got to like write movies or something. So that's how it started. And then, so I like had the goal always to like go to LA or go to New York. And I got an internship at Comedy Central when I was in college. Um, And that's actually when this book started getting written in 2011 and then they hired me as soon as i graduated college so i moved straight back to new york um started working there and it's all a lot of faking it till i make it till i made it you know um right i i i got hired at vice as a video producer and i had never really like actually produced videos i was a (laughs) digital producer at, at comedy central which i mean it's all the same but uh, I actually had to like go out on location and on sets and like run shoots, which I had never done before, yeah. but I don't think they put that together. <laughs> um, and so I learned that really quick advice. And um, that's so cool. Then I just kind of, because I did it so much advice in such a short amount of time, yeah. I felt comfortable in it and just started applying for jobs that ended up at Rolling Stone for a short time, just doing like freelance production for them. And uh, yeah, it's just like one thing led to another. I ended up at Billboard for a year. And while I was at Billboard magazine, they bought Spin. And so I did some videos for Spin. And that was the best thing that happened to me, even though it was one of the worst like jobs corporate wise. It, I, I got a lot of experience, got to do a lot of cool videos for that helps my reel and helps me get work now. Sick. It's just kind of like one thing led to another. It's, it's, it is all about fake it till you make it um, and learn as you go. But Fuck I mean, yeah. not just fake it till you make it. Like I was saying before we started recording, like I'm obsessed with what I do. So like I listen to podcasts about digital marketing so because if you're going to create content you got to know how to market it like i can't tell you how many clients have hired me to make videos for them and nobody sees the videos because they don't know how to market them and they don't ask me or hire me to help them do that so like i just watch youtube videos to learn new shit i listen to podcasts i'm constantly like teaching myself new stuff so there's a point of faking it till you make it but then you also got to 
keep Put the work learning in. so you can be good at it. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's it sounds like you've had some really interesting moves in, in your career there. So is there a project, let's say, that stands out that you're like, man, I'm so fucking proud that I was involved in this project? Well, yeah. I mean, this is going to sound like an obvious answer because I got that Emmy over my shoulder. Ah, back there. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, Shit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, that is for this show on Comedy Central called Night of Too Many Stars, which is like they oh, used yeah, to do. Okay. Yeah, it, it's like a benefit for uh, autism education. And they oh, used wow. to do it every two years. And then it went to HBO for the last couple of years. But John Stewart hosts. Right. Uh, Robert Smigel is the executive producer of it. And he's like a hero of mine because he was a writer on Saturday Night Live for ever. SNL. And yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's he's sure, triumph sure. the insult comic dog from Conan. Oh right, he does that and <laughs> so, ambiguously gay duo, uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to see because I have a picture up there with him, but I also have a picture of me oh, cool. holding Triumph. I have with my hand up Triumph. Oh, that's awesome. hell yeah! But um, <laughs> so working with him, this is like a huge thing for me. Not because I won the Emmy. Even before that, it was huge because we raised $4 million for autism education. It's amazing. Wow. And at the taping of the show, it was at the Beacon Theater here in New York, which is like over a thousand people. And Katy Perry did this performance with this 11-year-old girl who is autistic. And you can find this on YouTube. But this little girl can like listen to a song on the radio and play it on piano um, and sing Oh, no um, way. But she's also very like awkward and shy. And so she's, it's so freaking cute. But she came out on stage, this little girl in front of, I want to say it's 2000 people, but it's, it's a lot of people at the Beacon Theater sure. with Katy Perry and played <laughs> piano. No one backed her up. This little 11 year old girl played firework on piano and sang no it way. with Katy Perry. And I was like in the back of the room crying like everyone else in the room that's amazing (laughs) right but this was my first job out of college and this filmed in like uh, i want to say like september of 2012 the year i got out of college yeah and that's part of the altruism thing that we were talking about earlier that taught me that i could do what i do for good you know for a good cause Yes. And just like raising the money that we raised for that and seeing people get helped by it. But also it's, it was such a funny show. Like the comedians who came out and they did like live auctions where you could piss next to Seth Rogen, <laughs> um, like for the highest bidder in the room. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, or, or like you could be Amy Poehler and Tina Fey's best friend for the night. And they shot this video with like whoever bid like won the, when the auction would go out with them, oh like went oh, to cool. dinner, went for drinks, and they did all these like fake sketches with them too. Um, <laughs> so it was like really funny, and it was really entertaining, and that's why we won the Emmy. Like we beat. Uh, so the Emmy is for outstanding digital, outstanding interactive programming, which is all the online stuff that goes with the TV show. Gotcha. Okay. So we did like online auctions, exclusive like uh, video stuff online. So you people could play like this is 2012. So like people could play words with friends with Paul Rudd. Oh no! Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there was all kinds of like stupid shit that we did, 
And so we beat like Game of Thrones. We beat Homeland. We beat Conan. We beat oh, all damn. these other shows because wow. we did some really cool shit. But uh, it taught me that I could do cool things for a good cause, you know? And that's what I've carried with me ever since then. And so that's partially what went into this book. Uh, I have a charity called Zero Platoon where I work with bands to reach out to people in the military who deal with mental health issues. Wow. Um, Because like I learned from my first corporate job out of college that like you can do cool shit and like help people. And so that's why that's that probably has a lot to do with how this book came along. That's terrific, man. That's wonderful, man. I love it. But yeah, that's one of the things I'm I'm most proud of for sure. That makes sense. <laughs> I I can understand why. Um yeah. that's that's awesome, dude. You were just talking a little bit about comedy there, and I know that you've done some stand up yourself. Yeah. So do you still it's been a while, but do you, no, nah, it's been nah, a while. I so stand up for me was um something I did back in Texas mostly because like, you know, where I'm from in Corpus Christi, there will there wasn't even a comedy club there until my brother and I I mean there was one, but then there hadn't been one for years. Okay. And then my brother and I opened up a comedy club, which I talk about a little bit in right. the book. Sure. And almost killed and almost killed me. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> a couple times. But so we did that because my brother was he's two years older than me and he was always the kid who like wrote the zines in high school. Right. Okay. Um and would like sneak into the teachers like lounge to like make copies of the zines to pass out at school. Um, he's definitely, <laughs> he's a huge inspiration of, of my DIYness. And, uh, do you still talk? He's a great writer. Do you still talk to your brother? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know I mentioned in the book about the period where we didn't talk right, for correct. A, a while. Cause we got in a huge fight, but yeah, no, we're super close now. Oh, that's great. I, I mean, I mean, not super close cause we're both like, grown up and we both have kids now sure sure he's he's still running his magazine and so yeah but like we we talk and sometimes we won't talk for like maybe a month sometimes but uh then we do and we talk for hours you know right Um, right. but it's also because like my family wasn't like that you know we weren't like a close family yeah so we don't really we don't really do the check-in every week thing but then we do the catch-up for three hours thing you know Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so I did stand up because I knew I was a, f- a good writer. I knew I was f- a funny writer. I'd always been funny. And like, I love it. So, sounds stupid to say that I love this line in my book that I wrote. Uh, but, um, but I love that this line in my book that I wrote where I say, like, I was always the funniest to like my years extent or something like that like yeah like every year like in in elementary school i was always the funniest kid like i was always i was always as funny as someone that age could be okay and i wasn't a class clown like i wasn't doing stupid shit to make people laugh i was like clever and like and it's because i watched saturday night live all the time and i like a lot of it was just me like bringing saturday night live jokes to school (laughs) like like, nobody knew (laughs) Um, or like quoting Adam Sandler CDs, That's um, great. but, uh, I, so I always knew that I was funny and could write funny, but I was always scared to death to do stand up. Like when I moved to LA, I was scared to death to do stand up there, but my best friend and writing partner did stand up and was in a sketch troupe that I would like help write for. And so like when I went back to Texas, I knew that like, I was not intimidated by Texas comedians or like South Texas comedians where I was from. And so that finally gave me the balls to go up on stage. 
And the first time You're I like, did it, these I guys was, aren't like, nearly I'm, as funny as I am. I'm fucking going yeah, up there. Like, no, I was like, and look, <laughs> this is not being cocky because I'm admitting my like my insecurity here. I'm saying like I knew in L.A. No, yeah, I'm sure. too scared. There's, I'm, I can't measure up against these guys. Um, yeah. And then I even yeah. moved to Nashville after that. And in Nashville, I went to comedy shows and I was still right, scared right. to do it there. But when I moved back to Corpus Christi, Texas, I was like, no doubt I can hold my own I here. Got this. Um, and there's some funny comics <laughs> from down there. Um, but the first time I did an open mic, you know, you're supposed to get like three to five minutes and I got 12. Like they didn't give me the light till like 12 minutes. Oh, right, right. Um, and so I was like, all you right, stole I guess someone I'm else's time. <laughs> well, it's an open mic. So you, it's, you, you get as much time. As oh, that's true. The, well, I um, was thinking, but no, yeah, I was the thinking book, of, right. uh, uh, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, there's of. a part in the book where I, I did this like theater show in Corpus where I just got really high and fucked up before I went on stage. Like I think in the book, I yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. How, like I went to my buddy's house. I think we did Coke and Vicodin and like, whiskey shots and then we got to the show (laughs) that's before getting to the show and they had like (laughs) bottles of Patron in the green room so we just took tequila shots and I was the opener I'm not even like I have no cred on this show I'm like the lowest (laughs) and I went out there fucked up there was a prop comic for sure on this show and I hit his table because it was on the stage and like a prop fell down, which is like <laughs> such a TV show moment. Um, but yeah, on that one, I was so out of my mind that I, I ended up doing more time than I was supposed to. <laughs> that's what I was thinking and of. Yeah. That's yeah. like the biggest crime you can commit <laughs> stand up, especially when you're the opener and nobody gives a shit about you. Well, I was from Corpus though, and it was in Corpus Christi. And so they knew me, the audience knew me. So at least they knew me and right. like, but the other performers, they didn't give a shit about me. They're like, who the <laughs> fuck is this kid out there? Like, what does he think Stealing he's doing? Time. Yeah. But yeah, so like I haven't, so I, I did it in Corpus because it was the only outlet for like creativity, you know? Right. Moving somewhere like New York and being able to work in the fields that I've worked in, I've been able to find that fulfillment in other things. And I never felt comfortable doing stand up. Like I never wanted to be a stand up comedian. Right. It was just all I could do to like keep writing and keep trying right. to like hone my skills. Yeah. Okay. Um, Makes and, sense. Yeah. And never like that's part of the reason there's there was so much like drug use and alcohol abuse <laughs> in that time and period of my life is because I never felt comfortable doing it. Wow. So yeah, I haven't done it in a really long time, but I still try to incorporate that in my writing. Just from hearing you talk, I mean. Aside from the the book itself, but from you know hearing you talk and kind of elaborate on things, I could definitely see this like you turning this into a TV show. That'd be fucking great. You need yeah, to make that sure. happen, man. Man, let me let me tell you guys and like anybody who reads this book um, or who has read it. There's a couple like themes in the book, and one of them is throughout the whole book. I'm trying to write the book. And I talk about how it's so hard for me to write things that are important. And there's when like the stakes are high. I'm so like, I don't know, people, people have like pointed out the imposter syndrome thing to me, but I don't feel like I, I, this is what I struggle with. Cause like, I don't feel like an imposter. I feel like I'm really good and people just don't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> like people don't, people yeah. aren't seeing it. And how do I make them see it? Right. 
But then there is part of me that's like, if I don't put it out there, then they can't tell me it's bad. Sure. And in my head, I can always think it's going to be the, it's, it'll be the best TV show ever. But if I don't put it out there, then in my head, it's still the best TV show ever. Right. And no one said it was bad, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so oh, that's that. something I still struggle with. Even though I was 10 years ago struggling with the exact same thing, writing this book, I deal with that writing the TV show because almost a year ago now, Tyler Posey, who, re- who read the audiobook, told me he wants to do it. He wants to do the TV show. Yeah. Oh, wow. And- and that was the whole thing about it was that like I wanted the person who read the audiobook to, to be somebody who could do the TV show also. So would he okay. play and, you? Yeah. That makes sense. And he's like the exact same age I was. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, when I wrote the book. Um, or very close to it. And so he told me like a year ago when he was recording the audiobook that he was down to do to do whatever he like I wanted with it. Like audiobook, TV show, whatever. He wow. was up for it. And I haven't written one page of a pilot. Get on it. It's been like a year. Oh man, um, we want. Listen, I know. I know. I get. I get that. I get that whole like. Well, if I don't do it, I can't fail. If I don't do it, exactly. Like it's not. You know, like I can't hear like any negative comments. I can't hear anybody like shit on it. I fucking get that, man. Yeah. But I'll tell here. you what. Yeah. I'm just gonna say it, man. I would watch the fucking show. I would definitely watch it, and I know that it would be fucking awesome. So just do the fucking thing. I, thanks. <laughs> I know, I know. And, no, and that's the thing, too, is like <laughs> I have 100% confidence in my head that if I wrote it, it would be good, yeah. and it would change my life, and I would be like, since I had my kid, I hate leaving her. I hate sure, going. Like, I have I a day imagine. job, yeah. and thankfully, like, New York State has family leave, which, like, I've been going to my day job because my wife is still on her, like, Maternity. Uh, maternity leave uh-huh. so sh- she's here with with our daughter but next month i'm taking the entire month off and using new york state family leave but like i never want to i hate leaving her i hate of course i get it man going away from the house and like leaving my wife to like be with her for all day long and i hate not being around her and uh I don't know, like that could change my life like if i wrote a tv yeah. show and it was good and it was on tv I would never have to leave my daughter. You right. know? Although making TV shows is hard and it's, it's probably a lot harder than, I mean, I've, I've been around that world before, so I know it's a lot harder than my day job now. It would take a lot of time, but I mean, it would change my life, you know, and it would give me the life I wanted. And I'm confident that it would be good enough to do that. Yeah. But something still stops me from, from doing it. I don't know. Well, whatever, whatever it is weird, that, man. that you need, I, I hope, I hope you find it, bud. I need a therapist who works in the entertainment industry. That's what there I need. There you go. There's got to gotta be like, somebody. Yeah. Put me on the right See? track. Yeah. See, that might so be the key, man. You're genuinely talented. You're genuinely good. And honestly, I could see this being on Netflix. Like, I Thanks, easily man. could see it on Netflix. Thanks. I, yeah. I mean, I, I know I got to do it. I've, I'm getting closer to it. The last month I've been starting to like work on it, but I just need to fucking do it. <laughs> It'll happen, man. It'll happen for you. It sounds it's, like you know what you need to do. So it's not it's not easy bearing your soul. Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of it. And you know what? That's also another part that another reason that the book took that I took so long putting the book out is because there was a point. So like when I spent that weekend in the hotel that take that happens in the book, I wrote more than half of the book. Oh wow! And 
Then I just did not touch it for at least like six months because I then went back to Texas to finish college and I took a creative writing workshop class in college. And we were supposed to bring something every like couple of weeks and then the whole class would critique that, which is fucking insane. And rather than finish (laughs) chapters, new chapters of my book and bring those in, I started writing poetry because like a lot of people were writing poetry in there. I had never written poetry in my life. Okay. And I actually wrote some pretty good poetry, um, at least for me. Like, I like you were, kind of spoken word, you were a like Def Jam poet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could see you being good at that. Yeah. And so I wrote like spoken word, kind of Def Jam poetry, because I love yeah. that stuff. Um, cool. And so I would bring that into class rather than, hey, this is a good opportunity for me to finish my book. Let me write some <laughs> extra chapters and bring those into the class and workshop them. No, I, would not, I was not going to do that. Because it was too scary for me. Right. Eventually, towards the end, I did bring in chapters from my book. But the thing is, is that, and anyone who's read the book, like you guys, like know how dark that book is. Yes. And so it was very hard for me for a year to go back and finish it because I didn't, <clears throat> I knew how dark that weekend was. I didn't want to put myself back in that mindset right. yeah. of going back to it. So there was a, there was a good year that it just was left untouched yeah. because I was too scared to go back to that, revisit place. that. It's uncomfortable. Mindset, you know? Sure. That yeah. Makes sense, but. Um, yeah. And so it took another couple years for me to finish it because of that. And, and I, that's still a thing for me, man. Cause like no matter how healthy I feel or how good I feel, I still have major depressive disorder and I still have anxiety disorder and it's still scary to me, I guess yeah. to like go back and revisit that yeah and put it into a tv right. show like i can't i love that the audiobook exists with tyler reading it because that's the first time i was able to detach myself from it because it sounds like him telling his story and that's right. part of the reason he did it it's because he i mean he he did it for free no like he oh, wow. volunteered his time to do it uh because he related to it and loves the music that's in it and comes from that world too wow. And so he just did it. And so to me, it, it sounds like it's his story. And that's helped me get past that a little bit. So I'm trying to like organize in my head that it's not my story anymore. Like if I make it a TV show, it's got to be something else. And it's got to be a little more than what it is. Right. So like stop thinking about it as my story. But that's that's hard. I don't know. Right. It's, it's still scary to me. Sure. But I just got to do it. <laughs> that makes sense. But I, I think, uh, yeah, maybe that's the key there too is, well, first is finding a, a therapist that is in the entertainment industry. Yeah. yeah no, right? I, have a good, I have a good therapist now. I have a, I've had a great therapist for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah. He's at the VA. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. At, yeah. Which you don't hear a lot of great stories about the VA, but I, the VA here in New York City, in my experience, has been great. That's good. That's and awesome. This therapist is so good for the last like three years. He's he's a huge part of why I'm I've gotten he- much healthier because that's terrific. He's he's just been like great for me. But I need that extra like side of like helping me kind of like guide my my career path and understanding kind of. He doesn't. I've never. I'd like to think my therapist would Google me, but I've never talked about my book, and he's never <laughs> asked me about okay. it. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's also because of like the drug abuse in it. Like all the pills I abuse in that book, I get for free from the VA. Right. And, and <laughs> like 
And while I was abusing them that weekend in 10 years ago, I still get all of those pills, the same pills from the VA for free. And I mean, I haven't abused them since, you know, right. Eight years ago um, because I need them. And I've learned that taking them the right way makes you feel better. Uh, And that's, that's great Um, because taking them the wrong way in the book as you can see, it did not make me feel better. It made me feel right. like shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so I'm, I'm kind of scared that like, if he read it or heard it or like saw the book, he'd be like, uh, you're not getting those pills anymore. Hmm. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. That's a good point. <laughs> but it Hopefully sounds, they but it sounds it like you're, you have a much healthier approach to it now. So that's good. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. In the beginning of the episode, you had mentioned how now you have a three-month-old daughter and how you have been buying all of this vinyl. So let's talk about vinyl. Let's yeah. talk about the fact that <laughs> you've been growing your collection. You said that you've, within the past year, have bought over 100 records. Yeah, I would, I would say probably close to that. That's fantastic. So Hopefully my wife doesn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I could no, just okay. I could cut we, this all like, out. We we I mean we're in a New York apartment. We we see the packages we both get. Right. So sure. I know, I, Neither I, of I you know questions. <laughs> yeah, I know. exactly. It's like yeah, as long yeah. as the bills are paid, we can get whatever we want. Right. You That's don't right. bother right. her about her packages and she won't bother you exactly. about yours. Okay. It's a mutual exactly. kind of like as it should unspoken be. Spoken <laughs> understanding. I like that. But can you give us a peek? I know that, well, we know that you listen to Taylor Swift. You've got that in your collection. And we definitely know, you know, what your music taste is like. So give us a peek into what the collection looks like. Yeah, so I'm going to do a little scan here real quick. Oh, yeah. So, no, this right here, that's my right there. Okay. That's just what I took from the living room. Okay. And those are like the records that I want to listen to all the time. Okay. Nice. Uh, because our because our shelf in the living room is getting kind of, you know, overpacked and it's a glass <laughs> shelf. Oh, um, oh I gotcha. got one of those right but yeah, behind so me. So this is this is my Jimmy Eat World, my Bayside, my Mayday Parade, uh my Taylor Swift because it's also it's also the records my wife will never listen to and she'll never listen to Taylor Swift records. Um <laughs> And I also have this like little this little record player in in my office here. Okay. It's just really easy to just pop something on and like start up. So like I'll bring nice. my daughter in here to just like when she's going crazy and screaming because music always and dancing like I'll dance with oh, her for yeah, like yeah. 40 minutes. Like <laughs> it wow. just calms her down. She loves it and it often puts her to sleep. So like these are the records that like. I listen to all the time. My wife won't listen to, and my daughter will like chill out to. Um, yeah. So Juliana theories over there. Nice. Uh, yeah. So the, those are my like quick, but then right behind this wall behind me uh-huh. is the living room and, you know, probably another 150 records. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, everything from Hall and Oates, Dolly Parton, Let's see. There's some I Am the Avalanche over there. It's just punk rock oh, wow. to old country. I got some George Strait over there. Oh, and up there, I got my comedy records. Got some Steve Steve Martin. Steve oh, Martin. Sweet. Nice. Steve oh, sweet. Oh, man. George Carlin. George Carlin. Uh, George Carlin, the, yep. Those are just the covers. The records are actually in the collection. Oh, man. Sweet. Um, 
But, Great uh, comedy yeah. stuff. I love Steve. So Martin. yeah, I got I got everything there, and that's because like you know in the in the book I talk about like my dad. My dad actually gave me his record collection too. Um, he had a lot oh, of forty wow. fives, which oh, cool. I don't have here. So yeah, I guess there's probably a closer to two hundred records over there in the living room. But uh, yeah, it's weird because my dad's mm, nice. like I don't know if I mentioned I don't think I mentioned this in the book, but it's something that like really I I wrote it somewhere in like a. I don't know, maybe something I wrote in a in a paper or something that, you know, in, in my journalism time. But my dad's record collection, like as much as I like romanticize him and records and music, like when I asked him about his record collection when I was an adult, it was in storage. And like I don't get that. Oh, like shit. that oh wow. That scares me because I saw his love for his records and music as like such a huge thing, like my love for it is now. And if he could just put it in storage, like, what does that mean? Like, can I someday? Will I someday just put right. it in storage? Like, that scares the shit out yeah. of me, you know? Um, mm. That's something that seemed to mean so yeah. much to somebody it could just go in storage. So now I have all his records. Right. And it's a lot of, you know, old pop and old country uh, and old rock. Yeah. So this is like everything in our collection. Is there cool, a, man. What's, so what's your burning building record? Uh, that I would like to rush out with. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Um, yep. I don't have it yet, but it I will have it soon. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> I ordered the box set of MXPX's discography, discography on vinyl. Holy crap. Nice. Oh, man. They just like, I mean, maybe that was like their six, store, right? Yeah. Six months ago or something, mm-hmm. they like announced it and it was like, it was like 300 bucks, which isn't that much because it's like 10 records at least. Um, and a couple seven inches, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it's like Teenage Politics, their second full length album. Yeah. It was the first CD my brother and I owned. And because we were, I mean, we had cassette tapes before then, but it was the first CD that we went right, out right. and bought. And that just changed everything for us. And so, like that, and then. And out come the wolves by Rancid, but I have that on vinyl already. But I don't have Teenage Politics. All the early MXPX stuff that I loved and grew up and like grew up on and like made me who I am. You can't get that on vinyl without paying a ton of money on Discogs for it, you know. So they announced that, and I had like three, like two computers, my phone, everything. Like I was buying tickets for a music festival because I did not want to lose the chance to get that, you know. Uh, so yeah, we've gotten the email that it's like ready to go and like, I don't think it's shipped yet, but it's about to ship. So that nice will be, eat. that will be my burning building. Yeah. Those sold out real quick. Yeah. Well, and they also didn't make that many. That's what scared that. That's true. Scared too. Right. Right. You're like, I don't know if I'm even going to get one. It happens yeah, to me all I, the time. <laughs> it was, dude, yeah. it was so scary that I like didn't even mention it on social media because I didn't yes. want other people right. to like go after it, you know? Dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. We've definitely, Chris and I have, have sat there and just like, you know, uh, like waited, like, okay, now we can go on. Yes. And it's like, the, you see the countdown and you just like, you go on and you just like hope that well, you, you can be quick enough to check out. Yeah. So that One, you've got yeah, your I was gonna copy. Say, Yes. Yeah, so also, you hope the site doesn't crash. That too. Immediately at at <laughs> like it hits zero, this, and you're like, and it's crashed. This uh, emotion is dead. Juliana theory. Oh wow! Nice anniversary. That was one that I was like, because it was limited. Also, sure. Um, that was one that I was like, 
waiting online for. So uh, this is like one of my favorite albums and introduced me to emo. This is like my introduction. Well, actually their earlier record, understand this is a dream was my introduction to sure, emo, okay. but like this record right here. So huge for me. Nice. Dude. Awesome. So until I get a mixed PX, that's probably my burning building right there. Gotcha. Awesome. Any other like grails? That what are you're... your burning buildings? Oh, well, I think Ooh. anybody who's listened to our show before probably knows this and is sick of, <laughs> is just totally sick of I've listened to a couple episodes. Me. I just, just say it. it. So, just say it. <laughs> so it'll, it would probably, for me, it would be uh, the record that Chris got me for my birthday years ago that started my Aww. record collection which is oh. My Chemical Romance, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, the Hot Topic pressing. <laughs> nice. It's fucking beautiful. Uh, <laughs> that and AFI Sing the Sorrow. Yep. That, those awesome. are my, those yeah, are my two. Record. Like I'm like, I fucking, let's go. It's never easy just picking one. Seriously. I mean, I've got, prob- I've got like 50 in my head that I try and carry out of a burning building mm-hmm. <laughs> that I would all try- drop all of them. <laughs> but, uh, I know. <laughs> Just open the window and just throw them all. I hope I, I hope I at least kept like five that I really wanted. But uh, I would say, I I mean, like, all right. Well, you said two, so I'll I'll just say the first two that are coming to my mind. I mean, it would be three cheers for sweet revenge. Um, Also, another one of your and also your favorite, of course. Yes, I mean, it's like it's it's just it's just it is. It's one of my favorite albums of of all time. And then I'd also say. Take This to Your Grave by Fallout Boy. Nice. That's a great fun. And That's a great I've, record, too. I've got, and so like I said, I've got 50 others I could just probably, you know, rattle off, but I think I'd drop them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, my buddy Ryan, um, who I, so I went and I did a bunch of like video content at um, Riot Fest 2019. Um, and the booth I was working, I was with Music Mayhem magazine and mm-hmm was right next to alternative presses booth and the photographer there was this guy named Ryan. Um, and he's a great photographer and, uh, he took the photo that's on the cover of take this to your grave. No fucking way. The guy wow. where they're yeah, all just dude. sitting there. No fucking yeah. way. No, it's, it's insane. That's dope, when, man. He t- when he told me that I was like, Holy shit. That's awesome. That's, I love that cover too. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, yeah. it's, it's such a simple, a, like simple, but it's so good. It's iconic. It's it, that's what it is. It's, it is iconic. It's fucking oh, iconic. Sure. Well, Mike, thank you so much for answering all of our questions about your book, about your career, about your comedy, about everything. Oh, thanks for having Absolutely, me. Absolutely, man. man. Uh, everybody, yes. you can get the book "Rock Bottom at the Renaissance: An Emo Kid's Journey Through Falling In and Out of Love in New York City" on Amazon, audio and paperback. Barnes and Noble, Goodreads.org, and many, many other sites. It's a phenomenal read and one that we invite you to buy. Yeah, I would never encourage people to go to Goodreads, except <laughs> okay. I just went there. I mean, because I don't it's only because I don't know anything about it. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Fair enough. But <laughs> I, I I just went there for the first time like a month ago, and it's the only place I have bad reviews. No way. And so go oh. to Goodreads and read the book and give me good reviews. Um, <laughs> there you go. But it's interesting. It's, it's no, it, it's it's and I understand it. I mean, I expected to get this a lot more, um, but it's like females not so happy with my like 
And, but I just well, feel like they misunderstood me. Like I, they're like this. I don't want to like. Well, it sucks people to be the wrong way on this, but but it sucks to immediately be judged on something that like happened one years ago. Two, yeah. it, it was it was such a hard time and you're and a different no, time. No, but I also feel like I life. take responsibility for my actions. Of course, sure, yeah. As, of course. As, as far as with the relationship side of the book, because it's it's about how like my fucked up head was making relationships the most important thing to me. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like they were well, too quick to judge, but uh, I, whatever. I expected, yeah. I expected a little bit of that and uh, I gotta, I gotta take it, but this is, that's another thing I try to put out there too, is that yeah. like, no matter how bad this book makes me look, no matter how embarrassing some of the things are in it, it was important for me to get it out there yes. so people could see that no matter how bad the shit you've done is, or no matter how embarrassed you are by your past, it doesn't matter. You can get past it. Like, you ha- you can, yes, you, right. You can get past it right. and it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, I could use some good book reviews. <laughs> so they, oh, there man. you go. If you're going to get it from, yes. you're going to get the book from Goodreads, give, give Mike a good review. For God's sake. For sakes. God's sake. Damn it. For God's sake. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just do it. And that means that it is now time for On the Platter. Oh, God, it's so good. Mmm, so good and tasty. So today we're talking about A Lesson in Romantics by May Day Parade, which was released back in July of 2007. So... Mike, you know, when we were going back and forth with our emails, this particular record was on your, literally on your platter, and it's still on your platter. Yeah. Um, well, you threw me off guard there when you said it was released in 2007, um, <laughs> because I just got the 10-year anniversary oh, um, yes. version. Okay. And so I was like, oh, again, I'm bad at math. So, so that came uh, out in 2017. But I just got... I, I guess so. Yeah, I just got this. Um, I've loved this record forever. And let's see, Miserable at Best is in my book. Um, one of the chapters, it's the yes. song that goes with one of the chapters. They were so nice and generous enough to let me use the song in the audiobook for free. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so many good songs on this on this record. But this the 10 year anniversary um, awesome. has this cool packaging. Oh, sweet. dude! Um, comes with the a lot of oh, cool things wow. actually i haven't even dug into it oh yeah i have this like comes with like lyric sheets too oh wow no way oh um, that's dude dope, that is man. so yeah, cool they're, they're like typed they're not like handwritten or anything but that's right so cool. right it's got like some handwritten notes and stuff on there but uh yeah so it's a cool package and i mean it's 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 another one of those records you know like we were talking about earlier that like the mxpx records you know you can't find them without paying you know a ton of money on discogs right. and if you were going to buy like an old like an original version of one of these, it's probably, you know, a good amount of money. Sure. But, so this this record, I don't know, even know how I came across it. It just like popped up on a Facebook ad, which I get great Facebook ads for records. It's <laughs> so funny. That is man. great. Um, they always know what I'm looking yeah, for. Same. Before I knew, I was looking for them. Yes. Um. So yeah, that's that's playing. Just listening to it yesterday, rocking my daughter to sleep to it. So, um, it's good. I I I had this goal when we had the baby that like, I never want to hear baby shark. I never want, like I wanted (laughs) to test the theory (laughs) of like, 
do kids only listen to Baby Shark because that's immediately what parents go to? Do they only listen to the shitty children's music because parents like immediately put that shit on? Did the parents not try Rancid and Out Come the Wolves? Because right, right. I did, and my daughter loved it, and she went to sleep. First music I put my daughter to sleep with was MXPX Teenage Politics. That's, That's amazing. Great. I cannot tell you the anxiety that I have <laughs> about like I'm gonna have kids and like I'm gonna have to like sit there and like watch these <laughs> fucking kids shows. Nah, they're gonna in, they're just gonna infiltrate my life and all of these songs. And the thought did not even cross my mind until you just said it, Mike. I know. I think that's what happens is that like they don't like parents didn't even think about it. And of course, at some point, we're going to have to with like educational shit. Sure, um, sure. But yeah, no, like the churches thing. I don't even know how we came across that because I love churches, but they're not a band that I listen to all the time or sure. even often. But I don't know how that popped up for me to try that with my daughter. And that's her favorite for sure to like that's calm cool. down to. But there was one point where I was like rocking her. And her face was looking behind me on the TV and I had YouTube on just playing church's music videos uh, and she just loved watching church's music. Oh videos. man. So like, <laughs> I, I don't have to put on kid shit. There yet. you go, man. And that's, so, the, I don't know. As long as, as long as I can do it, I'm going to do it. That's Absolutely. The proof right there. I'm going to have to explain this to my, my future <laughs> wife. I say the only kid shit I want to play is they might be giants. Well, like sure, that, yeah. and Like, that's at least actually listenable and good music. <laughs> that was a thought of mine, too. Honestly, my, my first thought was like, well, ska is kind of childish and sounds sure. like circus music, so uh, maybe I'll just play ska for her all the yeah. time. Um, that's fucking hilarious. But, but no, I mean, but just like accidentally, I like put on MXPX one night and she calmed down, and so ever since then and i mean that's like in the first weeks of her being home oh wow and man ever since then i've just like well if that worked yeah know, man Rancid has worked everything it's and, great and mayday parade works <laughs> yeah mayday parade oh, works sure. too and what's great about mayday parade is it's so melodic and i can it sing is. to it it is and so yeah. like i sing i sing to her i sing the mayday parade songs to her um, That's awesome. Although she does love, I do a good Tim Armstrong, and so she loves, oh, my, she yeah. loves my Tim Armstrong. All too. right, all right. Can you sing? Um, but can no, you Made sing Parade Tim is like May, very please. melodic. Oh, no, I don't know, man. Um, it goes off reggae. Coming through yeah. the bedroom wall. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that wasn't my best. That's not though. bad though. That's pretty um, good. One one riot fest. One riot fest. I came up with probably the best thing I ever came up with, and it was singing dashboard confessional songs as tim armstrong oh that's oh, fantastic man. so i'm not gonna do that for <laughs> oh you, but, man uh, that would be so good that's i'm, I'm gonna try that good, for the promo I, yeah i it is good because i was doing it in the car to make my wife laugh and i can't remember <laughs> if she actually did laugh or was just annoyed by me oh. probably that um but uh i did not hold back i went full tim armstrong singing and dashboard was playing but i was singing in my in your tim, tim armstrong, armstrong voice, voice. Can, oh, that's so good. Can you yeah. tell us at least which song was playing? Oh, I don't remember, I don't man. Remember. Two years was, ago. But it was it oh, was man. most likely um uh Swiss Army romance stuff. Okay. Oh, okay. 
Great album. All right. Yeah. Getting, let me just steer the conversation back to a lesson in romantics here because for me, Mayday Parade, I guess like I'm the like resident uncultured swine on the show. Like I'm the host, <laughs> but also just I am so bad at knowing all of these bands. And I'm just, <laughs> like, it's, it's funny at the same time, but it's also tragic. So like Mayday Parade for me is just, it was a band that I knew was on like Pop Goes Punk. Yeah. Right. And I never listened to A Lesson in Romantics. And this is like a like a running theme on on the platter. We do a lot of these artists and a lot of these records that I, I'm not familiar with, which I, you know, if I'm being selfish about it, like fucking I love it. Like I love like cool. Yeah, I'm, no, being, I'm being introduced to, learn, to, to new you know. music. Some new stuff. I feel bad for the listeners because I, you know, like I, it's, I have very limited experience with it. But what I can say is that I was pleasantly surprised with you just mentioned how melodic they could be, how melodic this album is. Yes. It's very, you know, you can hear how like raw and emotional it is. Um, And that's, and I really enjoyed that part of it for sure. You know, and if I were to, try to pick like a favorite like if i were tr- to try to pick a song that stood out for me it's it's a little difficult but i i would say either jersey or if you wanted a song written about you yeah that the, okay yeah nice. either I mean, one of those and jersey's a little bit more like that's a little bit more like upbeat a little bit more like you know but man it's so yeah, hard no, those for are me good to, choices it's so hard for me to pick I, I don't know if like miserable at best is my favorite song off this record but this and and this whole record i i love yeah, all the way through yeah end. and you know the what's funny is that like they write such good songs and i don't even know how many records they've had since this one at least five or six i think but uh they're so good at writing the saddest lyrics. Yeah, I noticed that. But uh, yeah, I I interviewed Derek Sanders, the singer, for my charity Zero Platoon last time they were in New York before COVID, and uh, he did like an acoustic song, and he did he like we we just did like a I don't know like a ten minute interview. Um, I mean, it was a long like I always interview these bands for like half an hour to an hour, but I cut them down to like fifteen minute videos for for this youtube channel zero platoon but then i put them on my my like air quotes podcast because it's not really a podcast i just put the long interviews on there um and uh i was so surprised because he is one of the like chillest happiest guys (laughs) and we talk a lot about how like he writes such sad songs but he's like a genuinely happy guy wow that's interesting Um, and so when we talked about this record um, or these songs, he he talked about how like they all have such a different meaning because now the meaning to him is what they mean to other people and like how like kids come up to him and are like, hey, this song helped me get through this or hey, this song like made me feel better about this. They're not about what he wrote about. And now they become about like the like good feelings that he can like share with the fans who love these songs. Um, I thought that was so cool because like, I was just thrown off. Like you go into interviews with people and like, you like even like this one, like you read my book and you're like, Oh man, is this guy? Okay. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, that was like 10 years ago. And like, now I feel really great. 
And, and so for him, it was the same thing. I went in thinking like, oh man, this guy writes really sad lyrics, but he's not sad at all, um, which is really cool to me to like find out because that's how I want to be, you know, like I, I want to be able to like write things that move people and inspire like people to feel certain things, right. but I don't want to have to like be in that mindset myself. All you the know? time. Yeah. Cause that's sure. gotta be emotionally draining. Can't imagine if yeah. he, if, if he were you know, just a sad, just a, you know, a yeah. sad person walking around as sad as his songs probably, you know, would be very difficult to exist. So that's, yeah. that's good that he's <laughs> yeah. a happy person. Maybe yeah, that, maybe it's sad. cathartic yeah. for him and that's why he's happy, you know? Sure. I mean, I think it's also like, you know, the, the same with me, you know, just like growing up sure. and like finding that stuff. It's like, he's married with kids and like, I've, been able to like meet Chris Caraba and talk to him about stuff. Wow. I've met him a few times in passing, but like because of the book, you know, I went to Nashville and he signed some posters and books that I gave away. Oh, cool! And um, sick. he let me use a version of Hands Down that he owned, so I wouldn't have to pay Universal Music to use oh, it. Oh, wow, man! Um, it's the version from the So Impossible EP. Like he owns that. Oh, one. no so way! Oh me, shit! He let me use that in the audiobook. But he's just such a like nice and chill and happy guy. And he's, you know, married with kids too. And it's like maybe these people are like healthier than we think. And <laughs> I don't I don't know. Maybe they should let us know so we all don't think <laughs> we're supposed to be in these like depressions. That's um, funny, man. Yeah. So that's I'm I'm trying to do my part with that. Try to like get out there and let people know that it's okay to like be happy and like try to be mentally healthy. Yeah. Chris, did you? Ha- was there a standout track for you? If you wanted a song written about you, all you had to do was ask. But then I also love the opening song. I mean, I'm a sucker for great opening uh, <laughs> yeah. songs. So Jamie All Over is a, is another one of my That's favorites. A good song too, man. It's the whole just a great album, the, right? It is. I'm gonna say the album as a whole. First off, like huge props. I mean, like freshman albums. Uh, it's it's hard to come up with like an album full of to me they're all hits i mean like there's not one song on there that i don't like and um yeah so for sure when you have a freshman album like that and i think they may have mentioned this in an interview at some point or any anytime you make an you know like i, I always think of like reliant k as well like i love mm-hmm. like that's one of my favorite favorite albums and i know that the singer mentioned at some point that he was like he knew after he finished writing that album that he would never write a, another like a better album than that. So like if you have that kind of mindset, thinking your freshman album, and I'm not saying it is, I say I Lesson in Romantics is a phenomenal album. To me, when you write your best album first, where do you go from there? <laughs> yeah, and they have you, can, good you songs. can only go down. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like it's definitely, I mean, it's the same thing as like, I don't know. I think Chris Connolly from Saves a Day said that like everyone's favorite Saves a Day album is the one they heard when they were 16. Gotcha. You know? right. And like, and it's funny, like I have friends who are younger than me who discovered Dashboard with uh, the places you've come to fear the most and didn't okay. even know about Swiss Army Romance. You know, uh, and so like I feel like it kind of just depends what you like associate the music with. But totally, while I love this record and might want to listen to it more than their other records, 
I've appreciated the way they've matured and like even their latest records, I think Summerland, I think is the latest Sun, one. Right, that's right. Um, or is it Sunnyland? It's uh yeah, it's Sunnyland. uh Sunnyland. It's Sunnyland. Yeah. yeah. Um but like it's still them, but like grown like grown up, True. you know. It's and, and you grow up I and appreciate when music. bands exactly like I love when bands do that. Yeah. Like I like Blink 182's Untitled record is my favorite because oh, so. I was like ready for them to grow up to that extent at that point, yeah. and then California just like giant leaps backwards for me. But um, interesting. I enjoy Nine though. I enjoyed Nine as an album, not as a Blink 182 album, but as an album. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I so like you. Mayday Parade, I feel like is one of those bands that like Bayside is like consistently getting better like in a growth kind of sense, sure. you know, yeah. sure. Um, of course you're always going to love that thing that throws you back to that younger uh, period of our lives, you know, right. Yeah. Whether right. or not you like listen to Mayday Parade back when this record came out, it's still going to remind you of that sound from when we were, you know, 13 years ago. But like, right. there are so few bands that are as consistent as them and like Bayside, is, you know, one band that I love too. But yeah, they're cons- they consistently get better, kind of the way you would want a band to. I think at least that's how I feel about them. I no, I I completely understand that. Absolutely, Chris. Do you have any facts for us on a lesson in romantics? Yeah, I have I have a few. Um, so they originally were a six piece band before uh, Lesson in Romantics was released. Oh shit. And after it was released, it became a five-piece because Jason Lancaster had left the band basically when the album was released. So he recorded on it, yeah. Um, but he didn't stick around to do the tour for it. So him and like uh, Derek Sanders actually split the the vocals on it fifty-fifty. And so um, they had to like you know when they went on tour, they had to really like quickly work on learning how to play the songs live without him. So they said it was like it was quite a learning curve at the time because they were kind of thrust into this so quickly. And they originally, it was two bands basically that kind of came together to make all these songs, which I'll get to in a second. But uh, so they said it was kind of weird, but over, the t- over time it was like they just realized that, you know, it wasn't as hard as they thought. It was just like it was more just kind of like we got to figure this out. We got to figure this out quick before we get on 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 the road. It sounds like so. Fun. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was interesting. And like so, basically, like one of their big tours right after the album uh, came out was going on Warp Tour. Um, so Wait. that was a big chance for them to be like, all right, well, we really have to figure out how to do this without him. So let's not fuck this up. So. Uh, like you said, the album was released in 2007. Uh, it was actually off of Fearless Records, and it's still the band's most commercially successful release uh, with over 200,000 copies sold. And uh, in an interview, Alex Garcia said that uh, he actually cringes at a lot of the songs because of how immature the record was to him, <laughs> but he still loves it. You know, He still loves the album, but he knows that like they, they were a lot younger at the time, obviously, when sure. they recorded it. Um, it's considered a fan favorite. It actually received little attention from professional music critics because at the time they had released an EP called Tales Told by Dead Friends. And they thought, like a lot of cr- critics thought it was lackluster. So they assumed that the full length that had come out 
which is a lesson in romantics, would be very similar. So they basically didn't give it a chance. Um, however, it debuted at number eight on the Billboard Heat Seekers album chart, staying on wow. the chart for staying on that chart for six weeks. Then it dropped off the chart as of March first, two thousand eight, before eventually returning July twelfth and stayed in top ten for seventy consecutive weeks. Wow, um, which that's is wild. is huge. I mean, that's you know that's a, almost a year and a half. So that's a long time. I would think that's probably because of like it had to be like Fuse TV. Back then I, was probably right. playing their videos uh, like all the time. Okay, yeah, and they had a lot of they had a lot of uh, videos Fuse too. Was all about the like emo and pop punk. At that yes, time. yes, for sure. I think I remember that. Yeah, I also thought this was interesting. So when they went to go record it, the band had their favorite songs because uh, pre May Day Parade, like I said, there were two different bands that kind of came together to, to create May Day Parade. So they had a bunch of songs that they already recorded new songs that they wanted to record but the band had their favorites the producers had their favorites and the label had their own favorites so it was hard choosing 12 songs that they actually put on the album and so it ended up being kind of a clusterfuck because it was like well we want 12 new songs and the other and the producers and and label uh fearless were like but we want these songs put on the album so ends up being that like i think at least two or three maybe four songs were already written from the previous band that like uh jamie lancaster jason jamie lancaster jason lancaster yeah not jamie lannister lannister and not jamie lancaster but jason lancaster that's why i was thinking that i was like yeah (laughs) so um he said for example recording when i get home you're so dead he said uh Derek Sanders recalls saying, I don't think that was something that we would have done, but Fearless Records really wanted it on the album. And he was like, and you know, without that input, they probably would have just done 12 new songs. That's um, so interesting it, because I, I feel like every song on this record is, I feel like it's a cohesive record. Right. Isn't that you interesting? Know? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's but, interesting how that works out. Like they were like a couple of the songs were already written before this and then they had new stuff and you're right. It absolutely sounds like a cohesive album. And Jamie All Over was even an, uh, a Kid Named Chicago song, which is one of the, the names of the, the bands from before. So it's wild. It was uh, quite an undertaking, and they, they recorded it fairly quickly and then went on Warp Tour. And obviously, uh, Jason Lancaster left, and that was uh, it's all history from there. Yeah, it's funny because I actually saw his next band go radio. Um, at mm. Warp Tour in like 2009 or 10. Okay. Before I ever saw Mayday Parade. Oh, and interesting. I had heard Mayday Parade, but wasn't like super into them then. Cause like I didn't hear this record. I probably didn't discover Mayday Parade till like 2010 or something. Okay. Um, so I didn't know the whole Jason Lancaster thing back then. So when I saw Go Radio, I had no idea that's the guy from Mayday Parade. Isn't that um, interesting? But I love that dude's voice and the music he's done since he left Mayday Parade. He's he's so good. Like his voice is so good. Um, yes. and so is Derek's, but like he just has such a unique voice and I had no idea like watching Go Radio. Like I knew I liked Go Radio, but then like right. I saw them before I ever saw Mayday Parade. And That's so interesting. I had no idea. So those are all my facts. And I know that they've like I know that Derek and Jason have gotten together and like played acoustic together. There's oh, like videos cool. on 
there's like videos on YouTube and stuff in in the last few years too. Uh, so I know they're like cool. Um, oh sure, oh nice. And they've like gotten together and played these songs, just like the two of. I don't know if they've done like full band, but I've seen like acoustic videos with the two of them. Yeah, cool. for sure. I'm sure they're still cool. I, I think yeah. If I read it correctly, I think the the thing was is that. Jason left mainly because he thought he wasn't getting enough credit mm. for for some of the songwriting. So he, uh, yeah, so he, he was dipped. like, never mind. He <laughs> dipped. Yeah, he dipped and wanted to do his own thing again. But uh, hey, maybe it worked out for the best. Who knows? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris, for those wonderful sure. facts. And Mike, we really appreciate you coming on the show. If you have any last words... Anything that you want to leave our listeners with, now's the time. Plug it up. I would say to look me up on social media, not because I want followers, but only because I'm currently working on putting together an after party at Furnace Fest. Ooh. Um, And I don't have anybody confirmed for it yet, but I will say... um, the Juliana theory is mentioned in the book and they're at Furnace Fest. Oh, all right, um, all right. I I probably should I probably should shut up because uh, nobody's <laughs> confirmed for anything. But that's why I'm saying follow me on social media because I'll let you know as things come together. Updates. Cool. Um, updates, updates. I really hope Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids will stop by. He's done Zero Platoon videos. Um, nice. For it's going to be a benefit for Zero Platoon, the charity that I run. Cool. Um, but it's also going to be like so. A few people who are who have read the book and are fans of the book, and I've like made friends through this on social media, and people have reached out to me and asked me if I'm going to Furnace Fest, and so that kind of gave me this idea to put something together out there, like a meetup kind of thing. Nice. And then that just snowballed into like hey let's have an after party at an after hours club that never closes and maybe i'll (laughs) pay for a tab so people can drink for free um and hopefully some bands that i love will come by and play acoustic songs so yeah i'm gonna try to put something together there but i'm also i was planning for the book release before covid and aj from the dangerous summer and i were gonna do a book tour where he played acoustic songs and stuff and so he's still up for that so he's I'm going to, I got some events coming up that I'm going to put together and uh, they could be very cool if you are interested in going. So follow me on social media, Mikey Lee rock uh, or a burger joint, but yeah, I'm not hard to find. That's awesome, man. Awesome. Please follow Mike on social medias and buy the book, (laughs) listen to the audio book. Rock Bottom, At the Renaissance, An Emo Kid's Journey Through Falling In and Out of Love in New York City. It's an excellent read. It's an excellent listen. Get it. And also, give it good reviews. Okay? Five stars. <laughs> on, good, on good reads. On good reads. Everywhere. Everywhere. We want, we want good reviews everywhere. Mike, thank you so much again for coming on the show. We had a blast. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. It was oh, our thank pleasure. Thank you very much. Everyone, thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Taste of Vinyl and on Twitter at Taste Vinyl. And remember, you can never own too much vinyl. Later, guys. Later. Later.